This is TSC Now, a podcast by the Tuber Sclerosis Alliance. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of TSC Now. As always, I'm your host, Dan Klein. This month, we're talking all about the 2019 International TSC Research Conference, Changing the Course of TSC, which was held June 20th through 22nd in Toronto. The conference brought together nearly 200 of the best and brightest researchers and clinicians in TSC from over 30 countries. To learn more about what happened at the conference, I spoke to the two co-chairs, Dr. Lisa Hensky, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and director of the Center for Lamb Research and Clinical Care at Brigham and Women's University, and Dr. Mike Wong, pediatric neurologist and TSC clinic director at Washington University in St. Louis. First up, my conversation with Dr. Hensky. So now we're joined by Dr. Lisa Hensky, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and director of the Center for Lamb Research and Clinical Care at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Hensky, thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. So nearly three weeks ago, you were co-chair of the 2019 International TSC Research Conference, Changing the Course of TSC in Toronto. How did you think the conference went? And how do you think it was received by the other researchers and clinicians at the conference? You know, these conferences are really pivotal to our progress. And one of the best things these conferences achieve is bringing together scientists and clinicians who handle all different aspects of TSC. Some are basic science investigators with PhDs working in laboratories. Others are very active clinically, caring for individuals and families who are affected by TSC. And we really need all these people to be in the same room, talking about the same issues and thinking clearly about the path forward. What are our highest priorities as a research community? What aspects of those priorities do we need to address in a laboratory? What aspects do we need to address in clinical studies and clinical trials? And most importantly, we really want to engage the families and individuals affected by TSC to help us move forward because no matter what we do in the lab, laboratory, we can't move that forward without the participation in the clinical trial setting of individuals and families who are affected by TSC. So I thought this conference achieved almost all of those goals in a really compelling way. We had scientists from all over the world talking about their cutting edge research initiatives, many presenting data that has never been presented publicly before, allowing other members of the scientific community to think about it, comment on on it, make suggestions for how it might be improved. And we had presentation of clinical trials, some being presented for the very first time. For example, the CBD trials were presented for, I think, the first time. So we had the whole spectrum of what's happening in the TSC community. And then on the last day of the meeting, we had a session that included both the scientists, clinicians, and also families and individuals affected by TSC. And that those sessions really help us make sure that we're on the same page, that what we're doing makes sense. And 
mentioned that we are very, very aware of the highest priorities for the families. You mentioned that the last day of the conference, there was a corresponding educational meeting for parents. How important is it for researchers to really interact with people affected by the disease? And how does that give them context about why their work is important? It's really a two-way street, I would say. So especially for PhD scientists who don't regularly interact with those affected by TSC, these meetings can be life-changing because suddenly you make the connection between experiments and you're doing in the laboratory that can truthfully be quite tedious and discouraging at times. You make the connection with the people we are serving, the people we're helping by this research. So that connection is really important. And honestly, many PhD scientists find those first connections with individuals living with TSC to change the course of their career. They become so committed to wanting to make a difference. On the other side of the coin, we really need families affected by TSC to understand the research. And if they don't understand the research, then we have failed because the research is designed to improve clinical outcomes for individuals with TSC. And the only way we can improve those outcomes is through clinical trials. And the only way we can do clinical trials is if the individuals who are affected by TSC understand the research well enough to want to participate in it. So these meetings that bring together these different communities serve a very, very important need. You talk about how having the opportunity to interact with people affected has the potential to have people change the course of their careers. This year's conference actually kicked off with an early career research symposium. Why do you think it's important to get early career researchers interested in TSC? And what do you think makes TSC research appealing for individuals who are early into their research career? I'm so committed to the early stage investigator conference. This is the third time we've had it. And it gives investigators who are younger scientists who may be still in their training or in their first faculty position, a chance to get to know each other and a chance to present their data orally. So they may not have a chance to present their data orally at the main meeting and also to get a little bit of career advice. And this can help them succeed and ideally encourage them to to stay in our field. TSC is a super appealing disease from a scientific perspective because there is so much known already, but so much to learn. And the disease affects so many different organ systems in completely different ways. So it's very scientifically interesting why the same mutation, for example, in TSC2 would cause seizures and the neuropsychiatric disorders that we refer to as TAND, and then also cause tumors in the kidney and destruction of the lung that we see in LAM or lymphangioliomyomatosis. So from the perspective of learning a lot that's relevant to many diseases from studying just one disease, there's a lot to be gained from a scientific perspective for these young scientists. It comes back to this concept that TSC is a so-called linchpin disease. By understanding TSC, we may make fundamental discoveries that help us understand other more common disorders such as seizure disorders and neuropsychiatric disorders, cognitive disorders, and tumors. I guess just coming back to the early stage investigator conference, having this half-day conference allows us to reach 
these young, brilliant scientists and connect them even more fully to the disease and to each other with the hopes that they will choose to dedicate their careers to tuberculosis. You mentioned that this is a great opportunity for them to get career advice from more seasoned researchers. What would be the advice that you would give to an early career researcher at the conference? Well, I did have the chance to talk to the early stage investigators at the conference, and I talked about some of the challenges that all of us face in academic careers where we're very busy and trying to decide what kind of things to say no to and what kind of things to say yes to early in your career so that you can make sure that you are making the kind of progress that you need to succeed, especially early on. This is really, really critical. So I think they face the same challenges that all of us do in academic medicine, the pressure to see patients and succeed in a research setting at a high enough level that we can get grants, for example, to continue the work. It's a very tricky process to navigate, especially when you're just starting out. And we tried to, in a few different ways during that early stage investigator meeting, provide some of those you know, nuggets or hacks of ways to make it all fall into place. So you talked a little bit about the CBD and TSC trial and how some of the initial findings were shared at the conference. What were some of the other major outcomes to come out of this conference? Well, we had a couple of interesting breakout sessions in the afternoon of the second day of the conference. One of those was about how to use pluripotent stem cells most effectively to study TSC. And even some very basic discussion about to really understand something using those kind of models, how many different pluripotent stem cell lines are needed and how many different manipulations of those lines to, for example, change the level levels of the TSC2 protein, how many of those do you need to be confident in your results? This is a very rapidly changing field. And even for investigators who are immersed in this, they still have questions about what the threshold is for knowing that you have a meaningful discovery. So those kind of smaller sessions, I think, have a lot of long-term impact for the field, making sure everyone's on the same page, essentially, from the research perspective. So for me, that was definitely a highlight to see those topics being discussed openly. And we left with a plan to develop a set of written standards, basically, for how we plan to handle this in our field with the hopes that those plans could be mentioned in grant applications, for example, to demonstrate that we have thought about this carefully and have a plan for how we will be interpreting those data. That's very exciting. So just for my benefit, Pluripotent stem cells are cells that can be manipulated to become other types of cells, correct? That's right. So pluripotent stem cells can be generated from the skin, a skin, a small skin biopsy, or from blood cells. And those cells can be sort of sent back to their earliest form before they decided to become a blood cell or before they decided to become a skin cell. And then they can be redirected, for example, redirected into a kidney cell or redirected to become a neuron in the brain. So it allows us to study cells derived from individuals with tuberous sclerosis that have the features of a kidney cell or a brain cell and understand 
understand the effects of having a mutation in the tuberous sclerosis gene in those different organs. We can't biopsy the brain ordinarily, for example, in someone with tuberous sclerosis, nor do we want to biopsy the kidney in most cases. So it gives us a window into how tuberous sclerosis gene mutations affect different organs without having to do anything more complicated than drawing blood. That seems like a really exciting way forward and an interesting approach to get a better sense of the progression of TSC. And I think it might also allow us to better understand why TSC has such different effects in different organs. What is it doing in the brain that's different than what it's doing in the kidney? And the fact that we can ask those questions using cells that all carry the exact same mutation is very powerful. Were there other breakout sessions or posters that presented novel ideas that <laughs> got you really excited? There was breakout session on genetics, and there was a lot to learn there. So we've tackled the easiest question really so far in the genetics of tuberous sclerosis. We know there are mutations in the TSC1 or TSC2 gene in pretty much everyone who has tuberous sclerosis. That was confusing for a while, actually, because there are some individuals in whom we who definitely have tuberous sclerosis, but in whom we do not detect the mutation in the blood. And it's now known from work by David Kwiatkowski and others, almost everyone with tuberous sclerosis has a TSC1 or TSC2 mutation, although in some cases we don't find the mutation easily in the blood because the mutation is present in a mosaic form, meaning it's in some cells in the body but not in all cells in the body. But at any rate, identifying the TSC1 and TSC2 genes was a very important accomplishment for the TSC community. But in retrospect, that seems like the easy part. Now, we would like to understand why two individuals with the same mutation, for example, might have very different signs and symptoms of tuberous sclerosis. So everyone is wondering, are there other genes in the body that might influence the severity of tuberous sclerosis. Why, for example, would two individuals in the same family, maybe one of them has very severe seizures and no kidney tumors and their sibling or their parent has no seizures at all and very severe kidney tumors. And they both have the exact same mutation in the tuberous sclerosis gene. So the genetics investigators in the tuberous sclerosis field would like to figure that out. Are there other genes that might predict how severe tuberous sclerosis would be. And if we understood that well, it perhaps could help us tell someone how likely they are to develop kidney tumors and should we be trying to prevent kidney tumors before they even begin in someone who's at very high risk of developing kidney tumors. And in contrast, if we knew that someone else was at very low risk of developing kidney tumors, maybe they don't need a scan of their kidneys very often. So there are a couple of studies that are ongoing in the U.S. right now to to try to tackle that very difficult question, looking for these other genes. They're, you know, a needle in a haystack for sure to try to find another gene that might influence the severity of tuberous sclerosis. It's a very exciting direction. It's going to be a challenging one to uncover that needle in a haystack, but the impact in the field could be very, very important. You mentioned that finding these other predictive genes is is a current gap in research that geneticists are trying to answer. What other gaps exist in our current knowledge of TSC that you think it's important for us to learn more about and to fill those gaps to better improve care? 
Well, I think the clear theme of the meeting was our need to better understand tuberosis-associated neuropsychiatric disorders, or TAND. It's very clear to parents and anyone who meets individuals with tuberosis that there's a wide range of interrelated symptoms, clinical symptoms in tuberosis that can include autism spectrum disorder, intellectual disability, psychiatric and neuropsychological deficit, and behaviors, including aggressive behaviors. So I would say that both on the very fundamental scientific level, all the way to individuals and parents who are affected by tuberosis, that issue really came to the surface. And it's something that affects the lives of many individuals affected by tuberosis every single day. Sleep disorders also. I should have mentioned sleep disorders. So a lot of the meeting ended up focusing in one way or another on TAND, and that included some novel approaches to studying TAND in mouse models of tuberosis. Some of those are still rather early, but people are putting much more attention on that. And a discussion of how we could best do clinical trials to understand if a particular medication is having a beneficial effect on TAND. We certainly did not come to any perfect conclusion about how to do that. I would say that the broad spectrum of TAND-like symptoms makes it hard to design a trial. And one maybe conclusion was that we have to be very specific. We can't have a trial that tries to address too many things in TAND because we may lose the effect. What if a particular medication is helpful for aggressive behaviors, for example, but is not helpful for autism spectrum symptoms or intellectual disability? So it may be that thinking ahead, if we want to have a trial that addresses a TAND symptom, it needs to be just one symptom at a time until we better understand them. Hopefully, the work that can be done in mouse models will move us forward, allowing us to understand which of these TAND-like symptoms are linked and would be expected to respond to a common type of treatment. So I wouldn't say that we, you know, we figured it out by any means, but this was the first TSC meeting in my memory where TAND was discussed a lot in a lot of different settings in terms of clinical features, clinical trials, mouse models, and definitely by the families, especially at, at our closing session where several family members spoke out about the impact of TAND-like symptoms on their children and family. It seems like TAND is definitely one of the most predominant issues that a lot of families and individuals with TSC are, are suffering from right now. I know we hear about it all the time and it's been a focus from an organization to try and provide resources. You mentioned that TAND is an umbrella of multiple behavioral, autism, sleep disorders. What are some of the specific challenges of modeling TAND in a preclinical sense and then actually conducting clinical trials to address some of those issues? Yes, you're capturing perfectly all of the all of the challenges of TAND, and it even is often now depicted as an umbrella because it is so many different things that are interrelated. So the you know the challenges in mouse models or so-called preclinical models is that we don't have the perfect tools to study things like aggressive behavior or autistic-like behaviors, 
or, you know, many other more subtle aspects in mice. We can study fundamental aspects of learning. For example, you can put mice into a maze-like structure and have them try to find food that's hidden someplace. And we can use that to study mice that have a mutation in the tuberous gene. And in some cases, investigators have found that mice that have mutations in the tuberous genes have some differences in how they learn in a maze-like activity like that. And there also are some tests for social behavior in mice, but it's not nearly precise enough at this point to help us understand all the manifestations of TAND. But, you know, we have brilliant, brilliant scientists who are expert in understanding the brain, and their attention will now be more focused on that because of this meeting. So I'm super optimistic that we can make progress in this area and we definitely have the best team. We've got an all-star team for sure in our field already and these young investigators coming up to provide even more expertise and new ideas. So now that we've clearly made this evident to our community that this is a very big need, perhaps the biggest need right now, I I think we will figure it out. There will be at the next meeting new mouse models or new ways to study some of these things in mice. I'm, I'm guessing that we will make a lot of progress. So you bring these brilliant researchers from around the world and you have these really important discussions about how to tackle some of the biggest issues in TSC. How do you maintain that momentum and that collaboration when everyone goes home to their own labs? And how do you keep things moving forward now? Well, that's a good question. And many of those things are already happening, at least in my in my world. Collaborations and ideas that arose during the meeting are already moving forward. I'm guessing that's happening all across the world right now, sort of as a result of the meeting. It's like, you know, dropping a stone into a pond. There are many, many ripples. But it is sometimes the first step is the easiest and continuing projects like that is challenging. So another strength of the Tuberous Alliance is the availability of grant support. So once you have a good idea and you really want to move it forward, you need money to do that and personnel to do that. So some of these ideas that arise through the meetings will almost certainly find their way into grant applications to the Tuberous Alliance or to the Department of Defense Tuberous Research Program next year. And that will help those projects, many of which may have arisen through conversations and collaborations that initiated during the meeting to move forward onto the next step of getting more data and understanding the fundamental parts of the project that we need to really benefit individuals who have tuberculosis. So my final question for you is, what research currently being conducted do you think will have the greatest potential impact to improve the lives of those affected? Is it the research in TAND? Is it the research in CBD? What do you think really can improve the quality of life for future generations? No, I think it needs to be multiple things all at the same time. To really improve the life of someone with tuberculosis, we need to make sure they're not having intractable seizures. So the CBD angle is very important. We need to be able to understand and manage and treat the hand symptoms, of course, so that's super important. And we need to make sure that their kidneys and lungs are healthy. We need to make sure that the tumors that are associated with tuberous sclerosis don't grow 
ideally, we would like to eliminate those tumors. So many of us who are on the more tumor side of the field are looking for ways that we could completely eliminate angiomyelopomas or lamb cells in the lung or Sega cells in the brain, not just suppress them, but really eliminate them. I think we need all those to come together in order to really have the best possible quality of life for individuals with tuberous sclerosis. And that's what all of us are, are working toward. And we're working together. It's the beauty of these meetings that we bring together the people who are working on TAND with those who are working on seizures, with those who are working on angiomyelopomas. We're all in the same room at the same time thinking together about how to improve the health of individuals with tuberous sclerosis. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think having experts from multiple disciplines all work together to improve the overall quality of life is so valuable. And that's what makes these meetings so exciting. Thank you so much for taking time to talk and thank you for sharing some of the outcomes. And we're just excited to see what comes next in research. Well, thanks. And thanks for using this mechanism to let everyone know about what was going on at the meeting. I think it's just a great meeting and really important for everyone to know what we're thinking and talking about. Thanks again to Dr. Henske. Next, I talked to Dr. Mike Wong, pediatric neurologist and TSC clinic director at Washington University in St. Louis. A quick note, we had some minor technical difficulties while recording this conversation, so I apologize for any audio difficulties you might have while listening. Here's Dr. Wong. I'm now joined by Dr. Michael Wong, who is the TSC Clinic Director at Washington University in St. Louis and Professor of Pediatric Neurology. Dr. Wong, thank you for talking to me today. Daniel, thanks for having me. So about three weeks ago, you co-chaired the 2019 International TSC Research Conference, Changing the Course of TSE in Toronto. Now that you've had some time away from the conference, what did you think about it and how do you think it was received by the research community? So I was very pleased with uh, how the conference turned out. I, I thought the feedback I heard from attendees was was quite positive. I thought the quality and the variety of the science and presentations that were made were really kind of top notch. And there was a good mixture of uh, established investigators and newer, younger researchers just getting the TSC field. So I was very happy with it. So this conference brought together nearly 200 researchers from all around the world. Why are international conferences like this important? How do they help stimulate research? I think this international TSC conference in particular is really kind of the premier research meeting for TSC. And I believe we had attendees from about 30 different countries. TSC, you know, is a relatively rare uh, disease, but it affects people from uh, all parts of the world. Um, so it's very important to have this kind of uh, international collaboration. The conference really uh, gives opportunities for researchers from different countries to interact and exchange ideas, which they normally wouldn't have the chance to do. So what were some of the major outcomes from the conference? So there are a number of exciting new findings reported at this meeting. Perhaps the most uh, immediate clinical impact in terms of potential novel treatments. There were initial data presented from a couple of clinical drug trials. For example, um, Elizabeth Theo from Boston uh, reported on initial results from a multi-center uh, industry-sponsored drug trial of the drug Epidiolex, 
which is a form of cannabidiol or CBD, uh, a component of marijuana, which is a very hot topic. Epidiolex was found in the study to be effective in reducing seizure frequency in TSC patients with drug-resistant epilepsy. And based on these findings, it's uh, very likely that FDA approval will be sought specifically for a TSC indication for seizures, which is really uh, big news for TSC uh, coming out of this conference. Another example, Sergius Joswiak from Poland uh, reported some preliminary data from the EpiStop uh, clinical trial in Europe. This is one of two ongoing clinical trials that uh, aims to see whether a drug called Vigabra uh, when started very early in infants with TSC, can actually prevent epilepsy before the onset of seizures. There's still a lot of analysis uh, that needs to be completed for this study, but the preliminary data coming out of the meeting that was reported suggested that uh, gabapentin could decrease the development of epilepsy when started early. So the finished data from EpiStop, as well as from another similar clinical trial in the U.S. called PREVENT, should hopefully emerge in the near future. And this type of preventative approach is really a groundbreaking and potentially paradigm shifting in treatment of epilepsy and other neurologic symptoms of TSC. So pretty exciting. That is very exciting. What other neurologic aspects of TSC do you think in the future could take a preventative approach toward? So in addition to epilepsy, these studies are also looking at, as a secondary measure, some of the other symptoms like intellectual disability, autism, and behavioral issues, although the primary endpoints for these studies are epilepsy. So there could potentially be other studies in the future that focus more on those other neurologic symptoms. So the conference also kicked off with an early career research symposium. Why is it important to get early career researchers interested in TSC? And what do you think it is about TSC research that is particularly appealing for young investigators? So I think one of the strengths of this conference is the emphasis on the early stage young investigators in TSC. In addition to the uh, separate uh, early career research symposium that you mentioned, uh, a large number of more junior investigators were invited to give platform talks during the regular sessions, as well as participate in the poster session. Of course, the early stage researchers are critical because they represent the future of TSC research. In turn, I think the multidisciplinary nature of TSC, from basic research to clinical research, and kind of the multi-systems, multi-organ nature of uh, the disease makes it very attractive for young investigators. There's many opportunities to make an impact in different aspects of the disease. And these young investigators also have the benefit of interacting with some of the leaders in TSC research, including yourself. What advice would you give to researchers just coming to TSC? I would say to keep an open mind to new ideas. I think uh, TSC is a, is a field where there have been a lot of new ideas generated, not just for TSC, but relevant to other areas of research. So always keep an open mind in terms of where you might think of new problems or, or new um, approaches to research whether it's TSC or not. Were there other specific breakout sessions or posters that really excited you or that presented novel ideas for TSC? So I already mentioned a couple of the newer clinical trials related to epilepsy that reported some very novel, important findings. Another theme that we kind of touched upon is uh, that received a lot of attention is kind of new basic science and clinical research approaches to TAND, which is the TSC-associated neuropsychiatric disorders, including autism, intellectual disability, behavioral problems, sleep disorders. We still have a long way to go in terms of developing better treatments for TAND, but there were a number of presentations of the meeting introducing either novel animal models or new mechanisms or drug targets related to TAN. So I think this is an area that uh, we can hopefully make progress uh, in the near future. Yeah, you mentioned it's a long way off. TAND is sort of a, an umbrella of all sorts of cognitive and behavioral and sleep issues. 
What are some of the at least initial challenges in developing preclinical models and helping develop therapies for TAND? So in terms of uh, the preclinical side, yeah, in terms of developing your therapies, you often start with uh, preclinical animal models. And then based on that, you can advance to clinical research. So there is a lot of discussion at the meeting. First, on the preclinical side, there's kind of a, a deficit of really uh, strong animal models. I mean, there are definitely animal models out there, but we really need to develop better animal models of TAN. There was a lot of discussion about that. And there were a couple animal models that were presented related to sleep disorders and behavioral issues that uh, hopefully will uh, move forward and make some advances. And then more on the clinical research side, uh, there was definitely a lot of discussion, uh, including a breakout session that dedicated just to this topic on how to improve clinical trials for TAN. Uh, one idea that really emerged is that it's probably not realistic to tackle TAN as a whole because TAN has so many different components. But the research probably needs to be more focused, zeroing in on individual components of TAN, perhaps one at a time, such as the behavioral issues or the sleep disorders. So hopefully with these approaches, again, we can make some major advances with TAND in the near future. That's really exciting. I know that TAND has been an ongoing struggle for many people in the TSC community. And definitely this year, especially, they're going to cry for more attention to be paid. I think it's really great that the research community is stepping up and making it a priority moving forward. So the conference also included an educational meeting for parents and caregivers. How important is it for researchers who sometimes get stuck working in a lab to really interact with people affected by the disease? And how does that make this conference even more valuable for them by having that opportunity? Yeah, that's definitely a very important aspect of this conference and many other conferences. You know, there's all types of people at these conferences from the basic scientists who basically work in a lab, like you said, and the uh, clinical researcher who's doing research with patients and then the clinicians themselves who are treating patients. And then you have the parents and the family members, uh, patients themselves who are part of this meeting as well. So having all these people together in one room really allows for exchange of ideas and in particular for basic scientists and other researchers who don't have a lot of direct contact with patients to hear what the true problems are that are that need to be addressed. So yes, this is really one of the great features of this meeting. So you've had this meeting where you bring together some of the best and brightest minds in TSC and heard all sorts of novel ideas and had the opportunity to collaborate. How do you maintain that momentum? And what are sort of the things that you do to follow up after a conference like this? So to build on the momentum from uh, this conference, uh, there are a number of ways in terms of science and in terms of clinical research and patient care. Basically, um, a lot of collaborations are formed at these conferences and communications are made, email addresses are exchanged, and people definitely start to communicate about ways to collaborate on a scientific level. And then in terms of clinical trials and patient care, again, there are uh, some of these breakout meetings in particular came up with some deliverables in terms of what we need to do. For example, the one focused on clinical trials of Vertan, trying to generate uh, databases and other resources that both researchers could access as well as potential participants in clinical trials could be aware of what trials are out there. So there are a number of extensions from the meeting that are either very specific or more general, which we try to build on the momentum from the meeting. Were there any other topics or sessions at the conference that really made an impression on you? On more of the fun side, I thought this is an idea of my co-organizer, Dr. Hensky. We had a poster session, of course, is a really important part of the meeting and, and many meetings where there's more informal 
more interaction, a lot of one-on-one interaction. And leading up to that poster session, Dr. Hensky had the idea of a one-minute, basically, poster talks or poster presentations where several people were selected to just give a one-minute, basically, advertisement of their poster. They had one slide and they really had 60 seconds. So really, they couldn't present much of any data, but they would kind of just present an idea and, and why their poster was important and why people should come visit their poster. So I thought that went very well. And uh, there was a little humor involved as well. So I think that was a good part of the session. That was somewhat of a surprise. So my final question to you is, what research currently being conducted do you think has the greatest potential to improve the lives of those affected by TSC, both in the short term and in the long term? I think for the short or intermediate future, I think that trials that I mentioned for prevention and relevant to epilepsy, but possibly also to TAN. And there's also kind of analogous research related to tumors, kidney tumors or LAM, uh, where there's potential for prevention. So I think uh, if these trials are positive and uh, show preventative effects of different treatment approaches, whether it's by gabapentin or, or something else, I think this has a huge potential for impact. If you can prevent symptoms of the disease from happening in the first place, that of course can have a lot more benefit than trying to treat symptoms once they have already become established. In terms of more longer term, in terms of other types of treatments, uh, again, mTOR inhibitors have had a huge positive impact in treating a number of different manifestations of TSC. But I think in the long term, uh, research needs to focus on other potential mechanisms, either downstream from mTOR or parallel to mTOR. That could be synergistic with mTOR inhibitors or separately be even more effective than the mTOR inhibitors. So I think that's where a lot of the research is going to focus. mTOR inhibitors have been really great, but we need to kind of take the next step beyond the mTOR Well, that's all very exciting. And it's going to be quite exciting to see how research continues to move forward and what new treatments come out of the research currently being conducted. Thank you so much for taking time today to talk to me and for co-chairing this conference and in general, just for being a leader in the TSC research community. Well, thank you very much for talking with me. It's, It's been a great pleasure. Thanks again to Drs. Hensky and Wang for sharing all sorts of exciting updates from the 2019 International TSC Research Conference. Be on the lookout for a full summary of the conference on our website, www.tsalliance.org. That'll do it for this episode of TSC Now. You can always go back and listen to our old episodes at www.tsalliance.org slash Now. See you next time. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. You can find all our episodes at tsalliance.org slash TSC Now. Thanks for listening.